0: Take your Bibles this morning and go to the book of Ephesians, and hopefully I'm taking you to a very familiar passage. It's Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2. I know this morning's, uh, you could say, Bible study hour, we were looking at Ephesians chapter 4, but I'm going to bring you to Ephesians 2, and I love this. Actually, I'm getting ready to speak a week of of teen camp at at Northwood Camp in my Plan is to stay. The majority of the messages, if not all like nine of them I think I have with them, uh, will be out of the book of Ephesians. What a wonderful book of Scripture. Ephesians, though, chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 are very familiar verses to probably many of you who have grown up going to church. If you're here visiting uh, or you're unfamiliar with this territory, to me, this is one of the clearest um, presentations of the gospel in all of the Bible, And uh, there's so many amazing presentations in Scripture, but this is very, very clear as we see this together. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9 says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. As I think about this passage of Scripture, the one reason why this even affects my own heart, I I think of it it was a number of years ago in the summertime when we were up in northeastern Wisconsin at Northland. um, It had been the fall. We had been traveling out west. So we were California, Oregon, and and Washington. I guess it was late spring. And then we were going to make our way this direction, but we we actually did a a tour where we were up in um, Alaska. And so we had gone up to Alaska for uh, maybe a short time. Right when I landed, though, in Alaska, I got some word from my mom, and it wasn't It wasn't good news in one sense, Um, but my mom said, Jeremy, uh, just so you know, Grandma Frazier just passed. Uh, My grandma, Frazier, had been battling cancer, and um, so the truth is, is she was in a better place. She had, it it was a long, it was a hard road at at the end, And, and so when I heard this, I knew she was in Christ. That encourages my heart, too, because I knew where she was. Um, and then to think about her own life, living out the gospel, uh, I started thinking about, you know, man, I, and my mom said, you're not going to be able to probably make it to the funeral. It's just, it's, it's where you are and get back here because all the family has been in town and it just happened. And because of that, we're going to do the funeral right away since all the family's already here. And I'm thinking I'm going to miss my own grandmother's funeral. And then I began to think of what would she say? And I knew my grandma well. My grandma at times would even say, "Jeremy, you, you don't shy away from preaching the gospel. I mean, you need to boldly proclaim Christ." <laughs> I'm like good preaching, Grandma. You that know, to me. And um, and I, I started thinking about that, thinking, wait, I mean, if my grandma would say, "Don't come back from a, like a mission trip or preaching the gospel to go to my funeral," you keep preaching Jesus. That that would have been her mentality. And so I, I just knew that I was comforted there. But then as the summer kind of went on, we we'd made our way to, to Northland Camp, and we were ministering here at Northland Camp. And then I, I get another phone call from my mom. And it's not like every time she called, it was always bad news. But, but here's another bad news. She said, Jeremy, Grandma Smith just passed. I'm like, oh. Now, my Grandma Smith, when she died, was 97 years old. Okay. Now, in one sense... That wasn't too unexpected. I mean, you know, I didn't think she's going to live another thirty years or something like that. You know, that's not probably normal. Um, I mean, if you're ninety-seven, every day's a miracle. That's amazing. You know, okay. But when I heard that, I was able to, to go to that funeral. Actually, she had been living uh, for many, many years down in Florida. And so I got on a plane in Green Bay and flew down to Jacksonville. My cousin picks me up in Jacksonville. We drive uh, to Gainesville, Florida, where she had lived, where the funeral was going to be. As he picks me up and is driving me, he says, Hey, Jeremy, man, I'm so glad that you're able to make it uh, to the funeral. Do you think you could do the funeral tomorrow? And when he said that, there was an element where it's like somewhat of a shock. I mean, that does seem like be But there was an element, too, knowing family who lived there uh, in Florida, many of them are without Christ and um, and wouldn't go to church anywhere. And so, honestly, I told him, I said, it would be my privilege. I'd, I'd already, in one sense, kind of thought if something like that were to happen you know, to be prepared. And as a gospel preacher, you know, you always want to be prepared to preach the gospel. We get to the house and now all the family's around and I open up and I try to find, I said, man, where's grandma's Bible? And so I kind of found grandma's Bible. Now she was a believer as well. She had gotten saved years ago in like a backyard Bible club in Iowa, okay? You know, so this is kind of cool. So I find her Bible and as I'm going through her Bible, I was curious what passages of scripture made an impact in Grandma, grandma's life, you know? And so I'm like looking through this and I came across Ephesians chapter, Two, it was so marked up. It was highlighted. It was underlined. I mean, there were certain spots where there's a box around and rays of light shooting out. There was arrows pointing to different spots, and it was clearly even as it's marked, it was so marked clearly. She did know Christ. If you ever talked to her, she would talk to you about Jesus. But then to think of a funeral where there's going to be family and friends, and there will be some believers for sure, but there will be some who are without Christ. I thought, wow, what a better what better passage to use her own Bible to preach her her funeral in a clear passage that she marked up. That was kind of a, a neat privilege. So this, when I preach this even for you, to me is such an encouragement to my own heart. And I say this, I don't ever want to assume. And I think what happens is our churches in many ways sometimes can be filled with lost people. People who've grown up in a system. You know the right answers. It's it's people who make a profession. They 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 might happen. It may happen when you're younger. But how many times do you hear that? where later in life, someone really comes to Christ. I've mean, been many times through the years to see how God has worked in the hearts and lives of people. I mean, we have people even within the ministry. I was in the fall and we were talking to one of the pastors in Georgia, and he had claimed Christ, but he didn't get saved till he's 26 after he's already in the ministry. I mean, you realize you can actually have a head knowledge and not have a true heart ex- knowledge and experience of being birthed into the family of God and, and how awful that would be. And so I say this to say whether you're here as a, as a Christian and you've been saved for a long time, whether you're someone who maybe is just visiting today and you're kind of, you know, you're not quite sure. You know, maybe you think I'm not a Christian, but I'm here to listen, you know, maybe, maybe they catch this online in a sense a little later. But the idea is I hope that your heart would be open. And you do even, as Scripture would say, to examine yourself to see if you be in the faith. That's actually a biblical thing to do. When I think about even Judas, out of the 12, no one suspected Judas. That tells us this. You can play the part well. And Jesus did say, many will say in that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Even do good works, even cast out demons. But what does he say back to them? Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness, work iniquity, who live habitually in your sin. That's what it's saying. You live habitually in your sin. I don't know you. And that's many. And broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many go that way. Narrow is the way that leads to life, so few find it. So I'm just saying, I hope that our hearts are open to say, God, I mean, will you show me, I mean, if I am in Christ, encourage my heart through the message, and if I'm not in Christ, will you show me that, because I want to be in Christ. So as we look at this passage, that's what we're looking at, even this, really this morning, about God's grace. I call this message Grace Alone. Let's pray. Father, I'm so thankful for the privilege of being a minister. I know these are new friends to us. And, and I pray that you would use the message of your word to stir our hearts. Lord, what good would it be if we hear the word but in many ways don't respond to it? And, or maybe it kind of goes in one ear and out the other. So God, would you please help me? Will you empower me? Thank you that you tell us in your word that you use the foolishness of preaching to bring people to repentance. So God, I pray if there's someone within this crowd, and statistically there would be, that, you, that would be without Christ, that you would stir them, draw them to yourself, and that you would save them, that today would be the greatest day of their life, knowing that you are mighty to save. Lord, I pray for those who are in Christ already, that you would encourage them in their faith, and their walk with you, that they wouldn't live for self, but they would seek to live to put you on display. So God, use this simple message of the gospel in a powerful way. Empower me now. Bless our time. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's children said, amen. As we look at Ephesians, I want to take you to verse one to get the context of this. And we will kind of walk through this passage. Now I will tell you this though. The first three verses in many ways are the real ba- it's the bad news of the Bible. It, it's clearly bad news. And I say, hang with me, okay? Because I have literally been preaching those three verses before and I've had people get up and stomp out and not stay through. And I'm sitting there going, I'm painting the bad picture because it's right there. But the reality is some, a good picture's coming, okay? So you don't want to miss out on the answer. And so as we look at this, first of all, look at verse 1 of chapter 2. It says, and you, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world following the prince and power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Now, the first thing I want you to see simply in Scripture is salvation is from sin. It's being rescued from sin. Now, when I say it that way, even salvation is from sin. That would be point one. Okay, is we going to walk our way through this. But I say salvation is from sin... Uh, sometimes we hear the word salvation and we have a Christian lingo. I mean, we're used to this. I mean, if you've grown up in church and you say stuff like, have you ever been saved before? You might've heard someone that And I, I remember some years ago asking that to a kid, probably he's eight years old or something. Hey buddy, have you ever been saved before? And he looked at me and said, oh yeah. I said, well then tell me about it. And he goes, well, okay. My mom was driving down the road in the minivan. And, um, and she's driving on the road and I was in the passenger seat and then it's like we're driving and then all of a sudden she comes to a stop sign and like you know slams on the brake. We stop at the stop and then this other car's like. Just like you, I'm waiting for more and there was no more and I realized, oh, I don't mean have you been saved from a car accident but have you ever been rescued from your sin? And he looked at me kind of puzzled and went, well, no, I don't think so. I mean, that same kind of thing, even within a Christian school, I asked a girl, have you been saved before? She was a teenage girl. And she said, she said, oh yeah. And she told me about her bout with cancer and how the Lord had delivered her from her cancer. And I said, well, that's, that's wonderful, but there's also a worse thing than cancer and it's called sin. Have you ever been delivered from that? Because when you think about sin, what is sin? In many ways, we would say sin is the transgression of the law. It's breaking God's laws. And we can sin in a lot of ways. I mean, think of it this way. Sometimes you've heard it pronounced to children. What sin? It's anything you think or say or even do that displeases God or breaks his law. Now, think about that. I mean, you can sin with your mind. I mean, you, you, can, you can have angry thoughts towards people. You can have proud thoughts. You can be bitter and hurt. Uh, you can think immoral thoughts, and you go down a route like that. I mean, there's so many ways we can sin with our minds. I mean, you could be here in the preaching, but in one sense, you're not in any preaching. You're in la-la land, somewhere else here, where God clearly wants us to hear his word. And the truth is, we can sin with our minds, but we can also sin with our mouths. Have you ever said something you wish you could take back you hurt someone with your speech, and you might have even told him afterwards. After you said it, you, you might have even said, "Oh, I didn't mean that." Except for the scripture says, "What out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks." Really, if you want to know what's in the heart, just let the mouth talk. Actually, in, in many ways, I like as my friend Steve Pettit, an evangelist named Steve Pettit, he would say. He would say, "You know, you know, the the tongue is. It's just the dipstick to the heart. If you want to know what's in the heart, just let it speak." It'll show you exactly what's there. And yet we hurt people with our speech and we can say unkind things or we know we should say something and we don't. You know, it's like here's the gospel and here's a person and I know I should share the gospel and you, and you shy away and pull back and don't give them the answer. I think of how we can sin with our lives. There's so many ways that we can sin. In many ways, it's just saying here at the beginning, it's just you're dead in trespasses and sins, and, and yet you need to be made alive. And who can do that? It's only Christ. And you think about dead people. We were in a church in, in Michigan And uh, we had just arrived at the church for our normal kind of conference-style meetings. Again, I told you that happens really from from like the end of August to about May is when we're in churches doing conferences pretty faithfully, um, usually like a Sunday through a Wednesday, kind of a gospel conference or a heart-style conference um, with a lot kind of going on during that short amount of time. But in the process of doing that, we get to the church, we park there, and right as we park there, the pastor comes up to us and actually says, hey, I just want you to know someone in the church uh, just passed away, and they're, they've been going to the church, I mean, for so many, many years, maybe like a pillar in the church in a sense, you know, and, and they passed away. Uh, just happened, um, we're going to have the funeral on Thursday. Do you guys think you could do the music for the funeral? He said, and the pastor said, and, and he'll be the preacher. And I said, Pastor, whatever we can do to help, we want to be a blessing. And so I remember that morning came, and sure enough, um, it, they weren't letting anyone in the auditorium yet, but one of the girls that traveled on our ministry team, we usually have, about f- we have like four to five that will travel with us faithfully and minister in and, and, and music and preaching and things. And one of the girls said, I left my notebook up front like my music notebook. And we're supposed to be doing these songs. And I need to get it. I need something. I need to practice it. So she said, I just asked the people in the back, can I I go in there to get my notebook? Okay, we'll let you in there. She went by herself in the auditorium. The casket was up front and it was wide open. She didn't know the person. She said, well, I'm in there. I'm like, eh, yeah, I'm, I'm by myself. And then I'm like getting in my notebook. And she goes, I just, it just felt kind of eerie, you know, and everything. And, and then the funeral continued on where they did invite everyone and they left it open. It was one of the open casket style of funerals. And she's like, I've never been to that. Like she goes, that was just kind of weird to be, be there with a dead body in the same room. Now I will tell you, once the funeral began, the truth is, as, there's, as, as the preacher was preaching, as we're singing, the guy in the casket never said anything to us. He didn't sit up and say, whoa, hey, great crowd here today. Thanks for coming to my funeral. Pastor, good preaching. You know, Fraser team. Hey, great job. You know, none of that. And I know we kind of laugh and chuckle in the sense of saying this, that we know that, that dead people in a sense don't respond. And the same way spiritually dead people don't respond to the things of God. And the Bible says before you're actually saved, you are dead in your sins. Not only when you think of that, I think of the the verse in Corinthians that says that the natural person, the normal person who's not saved, the natural man, does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. He or she can't even know them because they're spiritually discerned. That means before you're saved, you may be sitting here right now and you're physically alive, but some of you are here... And you're spiritually dead. Dead people have no appetite. It's like the preacher's preaching, man, I'm going to go to sleep right now. I'm going to purposely try to sleep, you know what I mean? It's like oh, looking at the watch the whole time, get me out of here. You know, yeah, you read the Bible, ah, you know, it's like I don't even understand it. It doesn't seem to make any sense. It's almost like a blank book. Is it a lack of intelligence? It's not. It's a lack of spiritual life. When God saves your soul, I'm telling you, all of a sudden he imparts to you that life. He raises you from the dead. But you were dead in trespasses and sins. It gets worse. Look at verse 2. In which you once walked following the course of this world following the prince and power of the air not only were we dead but we're actually deceived following the world's course and you look at our world and can i tell you it's not spiraling up and getting better and better you're watching this whole thing spiral down fast aren't we it's like the toilet bowl flushing. I mean, everything about it, this is, this is no good. And you watch our culture. And because the culture says it's okay, sometimes we go, oh, I guess it's okay, you know? And we just kind of follow along. And it's almost like a herd of cattle going to slaughter, having no clue. And what are they doing? They're, they're just stepping forward further and going, Murr, you know what I mean? And just kind of following the next one. And you're watching our culture. And then when you see this, it's like we're deceived in our culture, in our world before salvation. And it's also being empowered by the prince and power of the air. That is not a reference to God or to Christ or to his spirit. That is a reference to Satan, to the devil. The devil energizes our wicked world to go worse and worse, to go deeper and deeper in the sin. And we're seeing it. I mean, this is like firsthand right now where we, as we live, isn't it? But you go further than this. Watch this. It says the spirit that now worketh in the children or the sons of disobedience. So we're dead, we're deceived, but we're also known before salvation as disobedient. Now, when we think of sons of disobedience and children of disobedience, that that mentality is pretty easy for us to understand because I know children are supposed to obey their parents, but let me ask you a question. I'll kind of pull the whole crowd here. How many of you growing up ever disobeyed your mom and dad? Would you raise your hand? Okay, don't lie. That's another sin, okay? And if I were to ask this, how many times... Did you disobey mom and dad? I don't I don't if you get like uh seventeen No no you, you couldn't give us a regular answer. You'd have to say a lot, you know. But the truth is you start seeing this and we, we do sin and we do disobey, but this is the idea that you are are children of disobedience before God. You're known or characterized by disobedience. You don't follow God's way and God's laws. We break his laws. And the nature of who we are, we're disobedient, verse 3, among whom we once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and we're by nature children of wrath. Think about living in passions. It's a lost world, and how do they live? They live in their out-of-control passions. They just, hey, if it feels like if you feel like doing it, you just do it. If you feel like thinking it, you think it. If you feel like saying it, you just kind of say it. You just kind of do what you do. You kind of do it. You live on your feeling, you know? And yet it's driven by our sinful desires. This, I would say, when you look at our culture and you consider ourselves before salvation, we are depraved. We go into our sin and we naturally go deeper. Or we try to cover it over so we don't look so bad. And then what are we doing? We become self-righteous. Because the truth is, can you defeat sin in your life No. And and if you if if you're like thinking, okay, I'm gonna stop that, I'm gonna stop that, and let's say you do stop that, somehow you kind of (laughs) sort of then what do you do? You go, (laughs) I I stopped that. (laughs) Me. (laughs) No, the sin didn't go anywhere in one sense, it's just shifted. It just shifted. Now you're arrogant and proud thinking somehow you deliver yourself. And the whole point is we can't deliver ourselves. This is the point. We are dead in our sins. We are deceived. We are disobedient before salvation. We're known for that. We live in depravity and we're by nature children of wrath. Maybe you would say we're doomed and we're doomed just like the rest of mankind. Now this is bad news. Children of wrath? What does that mean? That means... We're under God's wrath. Do you know what wrath is from God's perspective? Let me give you a definition. Wrath is righteous anger poured out on sin and sinners. The truth is, we're not born good. Did you know that? Now, maybe some of you are like, but, you know, I mean, no, I mean... We are born good, you know. If you think we're born good, you've obviously never had kids, okay? Or you've never been in a church nursery, working in a church nursery with a long-winded preacher. You know what I mean? Because if you'll realize real quick, kids are bad. You know, mine, no, mine, no, mine. You know, and that's the girl punching the boy. You know what I mean? It's like, and it's interesting. You don't have to teach kids how to do wrong. You have to teach them how to sin. Hey, let me show you how to lie. Okay, let's practice now. Mom's coming. So when you you, know, you clean your room, you, you say yes, but you didn't. Okay, pra- No, you don't have to teach that kind of stuff. It's amazing. That's who we are. And as we get older, guess what we do? We commit it even more. We learn how to try to hide it even better, potentially. But the problem is, this is a sin problem, and God's wrath is so real. We're talking about righteous judgment. Scripture is clear. There are two places that you could go when you die, just two. Scripture speaks of heaven, and it speaks of another place called Hell. Did you know nowhere in the scripture does it speak of Purgatory? I was um, speaking it was uh, in New Mexico, Farmington, New Mexico. We had a big teen outreach that we do called Cola Wars. It's Pepsi versus Coke, camp kind of games we play, have a bunch of free pizza and have a night you know, where then the gospel's presented. It's just kind of a teenage fun night that we'll do special, like on a Thursday night or something like that. And uh, we get to the, the end of this, and a teenager said, can I talk to you about the gospel? I said, sure, that'd be great. He'd already heard the gospel, and we sit down, and I had my iPad there and, and my Bible, and he, he says, um, I asked him about sin, and I said, do you know where you would go right now if you died? And he said, well, yeah, I think I'd go to purgatory. And I said, can I show you something in the scripture? And I open up my Bible app and, you know, kind of like a Bible app there. And I just kind of, there's a little search button thing. I push at the top and I said, watch this. I put God in there just so you could see how it works. I go, go. And then you can imagine anytime God is mentioned in the Bible, it's like, Brrr. you know, it's like there's so many mentions, you know. So I said, you see how that kind of works. Now watch this. And then I put purgatory there and I went, go. And, and nothing happened. And I said, well, let's make sure we spelled it right. You know? Okay. So, yeah, we got it right. Okay. Right here we Go. Go. And nothing happened. And I just said, Do you know why nothing happened? Because it's not there. Jesus actually taught in Luke 16 very clearly on that subject of hell. And he said, when a person goes there, he goes there. You don't go from one to the other. You go there for eternity. And he speaks of those two places. And again, I said, listen, I said, you know, Jesus is teaching that. And he says, well, you know, my priest said, and I said, listen, I'm not trying to get you to go against your authority, but I would say this <laughs> out of any spiritual authority you should listen to should be the son of, son of God. You know, it should be Christ, the Messiah. You should listen to him. And he clearly taught against that. And so you should consider what he says. So when you look at this, what does that mean? that? That That means we're doomed, and ultimately that means because of our sin we're too dirty to get to heaven. Revelation chapter 21 even says it this way, that nothing will enter into it that will defile it. It is a perfectly pure place. But here's the problem. Have you ever sinned? Not only are we born sinners, but we commit sin. We're too dirty for heaven. How are we going to get there? We can't get there on our own. There's no way you could get there. That's why you need Messiah. And as you consider this truth, this wrath, and I will remind us that sometimes we look at God and we only look at the attribute and say, well, God is love and he is love. But we forget that scripture does also say that he's angry with the wicked every day. And he will pour out his wrath. And so when you look at this before salvation, this is not good for you at all. That means you're not a child of God. You're actually an enemy of God under his wrath. Some of you sit here that way. Now, when I think about that, I think about a preacher of the past. We've been in New England area, and I remember them saying, hey, you got to go visit this spot because it was the birthplace of Jonathan Edwards. Does anyone remember that name? Jonathan Edwards, probably one of the smartest, if not the smartest person that maybe ever lived in the United States. And, um, and so what happened? At one point back in the day, God used him as his preacher, uh, and he preached a message that was very famous called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Actually, it used to be required reading for all public schools. <laughs> Come a long way. Um, in his message, historically, he would have read it seemingly monotonely with a manuscript. Now, I always feel like manuscript preaching... I, I I don't like it naturally unless the person's really good at it. If they're really good, you don't know their manuscripting, okay? But if they're kind of just reading, you know, the message, the whole, that that to me sounds kind of somewhat boring, okay? But I think about this guy. He's reading it somewhat monotonally initially and with his eyesight, pulling it to himself. Now, I'm sure he got better at it because he preached it more than once. He preached it many times, But there's a point in time where he is, he's reading this way, and guess what happens? During the message, people are coming under conviction, they're coming under the guilt of God, and they're hearing this, and to the point where, as they're hearing the message, some start screaming in the message. They start yelling, crying out. Now, talk about distracting, but people are crying out because they're afraid that the ground would open up and they would fall straight into hell. That's how serious it was. And yet God was just stirring people and they didn't want their sin. They wanted to be rescued. And this is the point it should draw us to help us see, wait, this is really bad news if that's who we are. But notice verse four, everything changes. So now I love this because now here we go. Number two, it's not just salvation from sin, but it's by grace. In verse two, the first two words are, but God. It's like we just heard all this bad news, the bad news of Scripture and who we are and how we need to be delivered. But then, verse 4, but God, he steps in. Actually, my grandma at her funeral, I took her Bible at the time. This isn't her Bible, but I took it. And sure enough, those two words had a box around it, highlights, rays of light shooting off. It was highlighted. I even spun it around. Everyone could see it that was there at the funeral. I mean, the whole point is, here's God. He steps in and does something for you and for me that we could never do for ourselves. And notice how it describes God. It says, he being rich in mercy. What's mercy? Mercy is God withholding judgment from you and me. The truth is, every last one of us, whether you're saved or lost in this room, are experiencing the mercy of God right now. Because we deserve his judgment, but you're not there. You're not in hell. And you might say, Jeremy, my life feels like hell. And I'd say, well, then study scripture better because you're not there. And I'm sorry that it's this way. But I will tell you, hell is far worse than you could ever imagine. But as you consider this, he's so rich in mercy, he's got so much mercy to pour out, withholding the judgment because of his great love with which he loved us. Isn't that interesting? It doesn't say that God kind of, sort of, maybe loved you, maybe, kind of, sort of, maybe, sort of. I mean, this is clear. He has this great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Here it is. And how did he do it? By grace you have been saved. Go further in the passage. Look at verse 8. For by grace you have been saved, and it happened through faith. Now, wait a second. As you start thinking about grace, well, what's that? It's where God showers you with blessings but you deserve his punishment. It's not just that you're not in hell right now, but it's that he gives you a relationship with him. He washes all your sins away. He, he gives you an eternal inheritance with him and a future glory to be with him. That's, that's amazing grace as we think about that. But do you know grace is something you don't earn or deserve? Now, I, I want to help you because I do say this. Some of the most confused people I meet Are religious people. I mean, I've had someone say this to me Well, Jeremy, you got to earn grace. That's the dumbest thing I think I've ever heard. What are you talking about, earning grace? because if you, if you earn it, it's no longer grace. It's works. Actually, the passage shows us this in verse eight, that we're saved by grace and we're saved through faith. And notice this, and this is not your own doing. It's not of yourselves. You could never save yourself. Did you know that? You say, "Well, well, I go to church. I don't know about you, but I walked through the doors this morning and I never felt a funny zap. Did you? You know, like also you go to the room you know, whoa, like, <laughs> my sins. Got, maybe you stand at the door going, zzz, zzz, zzz. like, this is great. Like, this is good. No, going to church doesn't wash away your sins. I've had people tell me, a lady in, in, in Tennessee told me, I, I'm going to go to heaven. I said, That's great. Tell me why. She says, because, she says, I've been baptized twice. First time as a Catholic. Second time as a Baptist. She says, Not only that, I have a brother in law who's a Baptist minister. I said, Ma'am, those are all nice things, but none of those things wash away your sins. The criminal on the cross was never baptized, and Jesus said, Behold, today you will be with me where? In paradise. That's another name for heaven. I mean, everything about this, it's not something that you earn or deserve, and yet people try that. Or I, I mean, think about this area. I've been confirmed, Jeremy, you know. And, and you go, oh, okay. so you answered questions correctly? You can have all the mental knowledge of salvation and yet die in your sins. Did you know that? Scripture says about the demons, how they believe in Jesus and they tremble. But demons aren't going to heaven. Actually, in one sense, an intellectual faith is like a demonic faith. It's like you have all the mental knowledge, but it's never sunk down into the heart to transform your life. And there are many that are that way. And you look at this and go, this is, this is not good. And, they, and they're trusting in maybe even the prayer. <laughs> the prayer? The prayer? Did you know the sinner's prayer does not save you? Jesus saves you. Now, you do cry out to God, so I'm not going to discount that. And if you prayed the sinner's prayer and it was from the heart and you went, I need you, Lord, I don't want my sin, praise God. But I'm saying to you clearly, it's not of our own doing. And to make it clear even more, it is the gift of God. Now, what do you do with a gift? If it's your birthday, you know, you could say, Hey, thank you for the gift, or you could say, No, thank you for the gift. But, but the truth is you don't, you don't say, Thank you for the gift. Whoa, that's expensive. How much was that? Okay. Let me write a check. Actually, can we Venmo? You no, know, it doesn't work that way. That's not a gift. But here's the gift of God. And it's not a result of, works because if it was what would you do well so that no one may boast if you could earn it and deserve it and you thought you could do it guess it, you'd be doing it. you'd be telling everybody how you got in heaven hey how'd you get there you'd say because <laughs> i'm pretty good got baptized no, it doesn't work that way. That's the whole point. And so therefore, it's by grace. And as I said, think of grace, I remember being years ago in Phoenix, Arizona. It was just before we were getting married and a bunch of college age. We finished a service. And, and so what happened, we we go to this restaurant like a Denny's, you know, like or an IHOP, like a breakfast all day. We sit down and literally the, 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 the waitress comes up and is like, you know, passes out menus and says, just so you know, you can order anything off the menu. Well, I, I do like to joke. I kind of, I'm sarcastic and I like to joke. And I said, well, isn't that normal? I mean, what do you mean we can order anything off the menu? I mean, that, here's the menu, but you can't order anything from it. That she started laughing. goes, oh, no, no. She goes, what I mean by that is that someone came into the restaurant earlier this evening and put down enough money that whoever comes to the restaurant tonight actually gets a totally free meal. And then we're looking at each other like maybe it's one of us that's doing it for the table or something like that. But we were all like poor. So it wasn't us. We're like, it's not us. You know. And we said, I said, are you really serious? And she said, yes. And I said, okay, well, that changes everything. <laughs> I was going to get an appetizer. Forget that. I'm getting a meal. So I get a meal. And then she said, well, what about dessert? I went, oh, that's, that's a good idea. Um, I think I'll take this. And she goes, well, you know, this is good. And I said, well, I guess I'll take that too. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> if it's for free. And literally, we had this spread of all this food, and none of us paid a dime for it. Somebody graced us did something for us that we, in a sense, didn't earn or deserve. And in many ways, the only way a person is ever going to get saved is how is by God's grace. It's God doing something for you that you couldn't earn or deserve. Yes, you do respond to that grace as, as he stirs your heart. But you look at this, it's by grace. And then how do you get it? Through faith. So salvation, yes, is from sin and it's by grace, but it's through faith. It's where you are then actually going to trust in and upon the one who can save you. If I were to ask you, do you have faith in this room? Actually, even if you're here today as an atheist, you have some serious faith. In one sense, everybody has faith, but we're not talking about just a normal, natural style of faith. We're talking about something special from God. Now, watch this. Look with your, in your, in the scriptures. In verse 12, look at it closer. Verse 12 says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. "...alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise." Because you you had no hope, it says. Having no hope and without God in the world. That's who we are before salvation. Go further. "...but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near," how? "...by the blood of Christ." It's amazing, you think about this whole idea of faith, it's not just, again, believing, but it's actually the idea of trusting in. Or when you think of Scripture, think of it as believing upon. It's trusting in the one who can save you. Now, why Jesus and not, I don't know, Muhammad or somebody else? I I had a cousin who one time said this to me, he was just, just speaking out loud in a sense, he said, well, what if Buddha is their Jesus? Well, the problem with that is this. The scripture is clear. There is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. The scripture says there's one mediator between God and man. It's the man Christ Jesus. Notice he doesn't say Mary, then Jesus, and then, you know, huh? It's the man Christ Jesus. Actually, Jesus even said it this way. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man would come to the Father except by me, but by me. Now, that's a strong claim. Some of you know the name C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, if Jesus was a liar, hey, I'm Messiah, but he's not, don't follow a liar. Or if he's a lunatic, he's a crazy man, hey, I'm Messiah, follow me, don't follow a crazy man. But if he is who he says he is as Lord, then you should humble yourself in genuine repentance and faith. I don't want my sin. I need Christ. I need Messiah. And that's the whole point. Jesus came because you couldn't do it yourself. As we see it in Scripture, this is why, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works so that no one may boast. The only way you can be saved is in Christ. Now let me ask you a question: Has there been a genuine time in your life where you've understood the gospel, not just here, but here? For me, I actually thought I was a Christian. I I thought it was this way because my dad got saved when he was about twenty-six, and and um, I thought because my family was were Christians, like I was a Christian too. You know, it's kind of it's just kind of a family thing. You know, and it doesn't and it doesn't work that way. It's you know so. As I started to hear the gospel more, there was an evening service at our church where an evangelist was preaching the gospel. And can I tell you, he was very clear with sin. And that night, I'm telling you, I knew clearly I was a sinner. You didn't have to tell me that. I was in trouble a lot. <laughs> so then he speaks of the payment of our sin being death, the wages of sin being death. And that night, it was, I mean, in my own heart, I knew I, I will be eternally separated from God because I'm too dirty for heaven. And then as he went through and, and went through the gospel and Jesus, is, his, his special birth, you know, his virgin birth, his life, and now he never sinned. And, and then, then to the point where his death and in burial and even resurrection, I mean, everything about this, he's explaining the gospel really, really clear, and I'm hearing this, and it's going from up here, and it's sinking down here. And then he, he responds with the end, and at the end with an invitation, inviting people to reach. Bond to Christ. And I'm sitting beside my dad. And, I, and, I, and, 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 and as he's doing this, with our heads bowed, kind of eyes closed, I grab my dad's shirt sleeve and start yanking on it, you know. And my dad looks down at me and he gives me, he kind of gives me like a dirty look and he says, what are you doing? Because he thought I was messing around in the church service because that's what I normally did. And I said, dad, I'm not messing around. I need Jesus to save me. My dad, in his kindness, he took me to a quiet room in the church and just opened up the Bible and showed me from the Bible what it meant to, to humble myself, to turn to Christ alone, to, to cry out to him to be saved. And you know what? I didn't want my sin. I wanted Christ that day. See, I think sometimes people hear a gospel and it's not really a clear. You know, and the, and in, in their mindset, they're like, well, I don't want to go to hell. Well, then just pray this prayer. No one in their right mind wants to go to hell. But the problem with that is, do they want Jesus? Because repentance is really a 180. You're saying, I don't, sure, I don't want my sin, which takes me and leads me to hell, but I want Christ. I want Messiah. Some of you, you wanted salvation because you didn't want hell, but you didn't want Jesus. And then you compartmentalize, you know, maybe I got saved then and, then, and then maybe later in my life I'll really give my heart and life to Jesus. No, no, that happened then if you're in Christ. So you look at this and you start seeing the clarity of the gospel, and, and that night, guess what happened? I cried to the Lord, and, and he saved me. And really, if you're here this morning without Christ, can I tell you the most important decision of your life? would be that you not only understand your sinful condition but you'd understand God's goodness and grace for you how he's provided that salvation if God is stirring your heart and you've never been saved, you can actually humble yourself and re- respond to him in obedience and faith in him alone. Saying, I don't want my sin, but I'm repenting, God. I'm looking to you. I'm looking to your Messiah, to Christ, his death, burial, resurrection. He did it. He conquered sin and death and hell. And for me, I'm thinking, this is amazing. That it happened in salvation. But sometimes I think, wonder if we forget there. Now, I have to show you this real quick so you can see it, okay? Verse 10 is often just overlooked. Verse 10 says, for we are his workmanship. Have you noticed this message I'm preaching to you, but it's not written as a gospel message? Did you know that? This is a, a message to Christians, those who have been saved to say, don't you see what you have in Jesus? Don't you understand your heavenly blessings? And this is one of these things of the salvation. For we, those who are saved, are his workmanship. We are created in Christ Jesus. Why? For good works. Why do we do good works? Which God hath prepared beforehand. He's preordained this that we do this. That we should walk in them. It's the idea that we put them on display. You know, the scripture says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your what? Good works. And do what? Glorify your Father, which is in heaven. Why do we do good works? Because we want to put them on display. Not the works. We want to put him on display. And for believers, if we're not careful, we can get sidetracked on what God has called us to do. How he saved us. And that all happened. And in chapter 1, you even see how it even happened. And, and, And as you look at this, it's interesting because... You have in verse 13, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvations, so you heard the gospel, what happened? And believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So you had to hear the gospel. God starts working your heart and you humble yourself and you you, you believe by faith in Christ alone. And if that really happened to you, what happened at that moment, the spirit of God came and resides now in you. You could say this, if you're here today as a Christian, you are possessed. And I'm not talking about demon possession. I'm talking about God possessed. Possessed. This is the most amazing thing for the purpose of putting him on display. So I wonder, is that you? Because if you're hearing this message and you're going, "Mm, I don't think that's happened to me yet, then my prayer would be this, that you would humble yourself and not wait. And I'll tell people this, I will skip a meal any day to help you. If you're here today without Christ or you're unsure of that, Scripture says that you, these things are written that you may know that you have eternal life. If you're, if you're just really questioning that, I, I would encourage you, don't wait. Now, you could set up a t- time to talk to pastor this week. But if God's dealing with you, then humble yourself and respond to the glorious gospel of Christ, okay? This is the most amazing thing. And in many ways, that's why the hymn writer said, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, now I see. You think about what God did and that, and that man who was a vile, slave, trader, immoral man who was rescued by the very grace of God who later becomes a preacher of the gospel. Amazing grace. Let's pray. Father. As I think about these truths. I'm so thankful for your word. Lord, in many ways we read it and it's just, it's just laid out. And not only have you delivered us by grace, that you've you've blessed us with these spiritual blessings in the heavenlies, that even in the ages to come, you will put us on display as, as trophies of grace, of just your kindness, which puts you all on puts you on display, God, not us. And God, you give us a relationship with you. You delivered us from sin. When we were dead and we were deceived, and we were doomed. I mean, we we were under your wrath. We were it would experience natural condemnation and damnation forever. But God, you're so good and rich in mercy. And I pray, Lord, if there is one person in this room here today who's without Christ, that God, they would humble themselves. They wouldn't push this away. They would respond to the gospel, the death, burial, resurrection. They would it would turn to you and cry out to you to be saved. God, thank you that you tell us in your word that whoever comes to you, you will in no wise cast out. You call people to come to you. So God, I pray even right now, as I call my friends to Christ, that there would be some in their hearts who would respond to you right now. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I always like to ask a couple questions as I conclude. I think it helps us to think about what we just heard. I don't want anyone to embarrass. That's why I'm kind of saying, hey, bow your heads, close your eyes for just a moment here. And let me ask a question to you. Has there ever been a time in your life where you understood your sinful condition and you knew you needed to be saved? That you knew you couldn't earn it. It was by grace. And it happened through faith in Christ alone. And you responded and said, I don't want my sin, but I want Christ. And you cried out to him to be saved. And guess what? You were saved. His kindness of giving you his spirit, opening up your eyes spiritually, raising you from the dead. I wonder how many in this room would say, Jeremy, there has been a time in my life where that's, that genuinely has happened to me. And if I were to die today, I know I have an inheritance in heaven. I know I've been saved by his grace, not my works. And Jeremy, I'm thankful, and, and I praise God for that. If that's true of you, could you slip your hand up to that? Jeremy, I really believe I've been saved by his grace and not by my works. Amen. Numbers of you in the room. You can put your hands down. But is there anyone here today who would say, Jeremy, I couldn't raise my hand to that. Or I really question if I have been saved yet. I know I need to be. Will you remember me in prayer? I won't point you out but I'll know by an upraised hand just high enough so I could see it. You're saying, Jeremy, pray for me because I don't think I'm in Christ yet, and that's a big deal in my heart, and I want you to remember me in prayer. You just slip it up. Pray for me. Okay, I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There's numbers of you here. And I don't think it's a mistake. I want to pray for you. But can I just tell you, you don't have to wait. If God is dealing with you and you've never truly been saved, then why don't you humble yourself? Why don't you cry out to Him now? Why don't you turn to Him? Jesus says, repent and believe the gospel. Trust in Christ alone. You don't have to wait. You could do it even now. I want to pray for you right now. Father, I pray for these, what, four or five people at least in the room acknowledging this. Lord, there may be others in this room maybe not acknowledging it, but I pray, God, that For those who begin to see this, I pray that they would not push this away, that they would humble themselves, and maybe even right now, they would respond to the gospel by faith and trust in Christ alone. I pray if that be the case, Lord, they would talk to someone, or maybe some of them right now, maybe considering this, maybe would want to talk to someone right after the service. I ask, God, that you would be pleased, that that you would save. Lord, we've prayed for this day, and we plead with you today that there would be humility and genuine faith in Christ alone. With our heads bowed and our eyes still closed, I wonder how many believers would say that they are, by God's grace, living for the very purpose of God. You were created in Christ Jesus for good works. Are you living for his purpose and putting him on display? Or are you living for selfish purposes? And I think each day we can ask ourselves that probably many times during the day. What are we going to do? This, I think this would be a great ending of the service where we have a time of reflection and respond to this message in our hearts and our lives. And maybe, maybe as you're thinking through your own life, you're saying, God, cleanse me of these sins. As a, I'm a true believer in Christ. I'm a follower of you, but I've not been showing that. And Lord, these things are wrong, and you're, you're confessing and forsaking, or, or God, I've not really been putting you on display. I've been living for me, in a sense, putting things in my life on display, and, I, and God, forgive me and, and use me to do these good works to show people Christ. But I don't want to mess around with my life. I want to I be used of you. And so even right now, I would encourage you that you would talk to God about this. I'm going to have my wife just play through a simple hymn of invitation as God is dealing with your heart would you respond to the Lord as you respond personally think about what you were you were dead but he raised you you were deceived but he's given you wisdom you were disobedient but now you want to follow him you did and were depraved living for your own passions but he rescues us from that you were doomed and you were damned but in his goodness and kindness he has given you life life to the full aren't we blessed we are blessed i'm gonna have pastor come and close us out today i want to say thank you so much for listening well if you need to talk, uh, I know he's going to give that opportunity. We want to be able to talk to you today. Let's pray, and we'll close out our service today. Father, we thank you for, again, letting us sit underneath your word today. We thank you for the gospel that we could relate to, that we were dead in our sins. And for those that this morning, they, they still are there, oh, would you draw them to this saving relationship. And I pray that they would not leave today if they have questions. Would you grant them the the courage to come and get clarifications uh, that they they would know what it means to be saved by grace through faith, that they were created for good works as the Spirit enables them to do that. We thank you for the time that we have been able to gather and for our children to be gathered and receive some great teaching today. And now as we go, That may we go with this gospel message into our community. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.